This is episode 130 of Beyond the Bulletin, published on June 17th, 2022. Hello and welcome to episode 130 of Beyond the Bulletin. From the University of Waterloo, I'm Brandon Sweet, editor of the Daily Bulletin. And from Media Relations, I'm Pamela Smythe. On this podcast, we go beyond the pages and pixels of the Daily Bulletin to inform you about important news and views from our community. Coming up, the President and I discuss Waterloo at 100. New episodes of the podcast come out every week, and you can find our archive of past shows and helpful links on SoundCloud.com. Please recommend us to your colleagues and connections at Waterloo. Thank you for joining us as we go Beyond the Bulletin. Well, Pamela, Convocation Week is finally here. How has your Convocation experience been? I'm volunteering again this coming Saturday. I'm a wayfinder, which is funny because I'm always lost. And I didn't actually wear a gown, which is just as well because I was outside. It would have been too hot. I got a t-shirt. I didn't realize I was going to be outside. I thought maybe I was going to be in a tent or maybe inside or something. And so I didn't wear any sunscreen. <laughs> so I was trying to stay in the shade, but the only shade was the <laughs> shadow from a flag. So every time oh. the wind blew, I had to move so that I was in the shade. It was so wonderful. It's forget Disney World. Convocation is the happiest place on earth. Now, here's what's been happening. Well, we started talking about it, so let's keep talking about it. The university's 124th convocation ceremonies are still in full swing as of the production of this podcast. 14 ceremonies over five days with 6,890 graduates receiving 7,300 degrees, diplomas, and certificates. Those are some big numbers. And the campus is abuzz with students and their families once again as we celebrate in person. It's so great to see. And I feel that we should mention that uh, the day that this podcast comes out, that is Friday, June 17th, we'll see former President Ferdinand Hamdalaper officially named President Emeritus at the first of four engineering ceremonies staggered over two days. And the first of those ceremonies takes place at 6.30 p.m. tonight. Congratulations, Ferdinand. That's, that's right. There are nearly 2,000 graduates in engineering beating out the Faculty of Arts, for the largest crop of graduating students and necessitating a number of ceremonies. Vice President, Academic, and Provost James Rush has convened a new group to bring together academic leaders on campus. It's called the Council of Academic Leaders, or CAL for short. In addition to the President and Provost, the CAL is made up of presidents and principals of the affiliated and federated institutions of Waterloo, as well as vice presidents, deans, associate deans, chairs and directors, and other members of executive council. The CAL will be a forum for discussion of issues or developments shaping strategic directions and important high-level operational items, as well as for annual updates on planning topics of widespread interest and impact. The CAL will support broader awareness and coordination among university leaders. The CAL had its inaugural meeting on May 31st and will reconvene in October. Generally, the council will meet four to six times during the academic year and will also be connected by a regular targeted digest from the provost's office, consolidating communications and information of relevance to the group as a vehicle for maintaining the network across the broad group of academic leadership. James Rush has also announced the winners of the 2021 Outstanding Performance Awards. 96 faculty members across the university's six faculties have joined the ranks of Outstanding Performance Award winners this year. 
In May 2005, the university established an outstanding performance fund to reward faculty members for outstanding contribution in teaching and scholarship and or outstanding service to the university. Congratulations to the 2021 winners. We'll put the link to the list of award winners in our episode show notes. The 2022 Pride t-shirt has launched at W Store to celebrate Pride Month. $5 from the sale of every t-shirt will go directly to the GLOW Center for Sexual and Gender Diversity. GLOW is the oldest continually running university-based 2S LGBTQ plus group in Canada, run entirely by dedicated student volunteers. It offers a wide variety of discussion groups, social events, advocacy opportunities, awareness campaigns, resources, and peer support. To learn more about the GLOW Center, you could check out last June's interview with Jeremy Steffler on the group's 50th anniversary. We'll put a link to that as well as to the W Store in our show notes. I can always count on you, Pamela, to make those meta connections to previous uh, podcast episodes and interview guests. Truly, you are self-referential in the extreme. (laughs) At its core, it really has great information. And so I really hope people do check out our archive of episodes. That's right. If they're nice, listen to them twice. Now, here's what's coming up. On Monday, June 20th, faculty, staff, and students from the Faculty of Health are invited to attend a ceremony to formally welcome Elder Mayengan Henry as the Faculty of Health's Indigenous Knowledge Keeper and commemorate a new relationship of reconciliation in work throughout the faculty. As we discussed in episode 125 when he was the interview guest, as Health's Indigenous Knowledge Keeper, he will promote Indigenous understanding within the faculty and complement the efforts of the Office of Indigenous Relations. There will be a tree planting in the BC Matthews Hall courtyard to symbolize the Faculty of Health's strategic plan's signature commitment to promote an environment that invites and respects Indigenous ways of knowing. There will also be a presentation of a wampum belt. It's just one of several initiatives in response to the Truth and Reconciliation Commission of Canada's findings and calls to action. And this is as good a time as any to remind you that Tuesday, June 21st, is National Indigenous Peoples Day. It's an opportunity to learn more about the rich and diverse cultures, voices, experiences, and histories of First Nations, Inuit, and Métis peoples. Check out the Office of Indigenous Relations website for more information about National Indigenous History Month and National Indigenous Peoples Day. And now the interview. The newly launched Waterloo at 100 initiative seeks to shape the institution's next 35 years and beyond through a series of community consultations. Before the university's establishment back in 1957, its founders envisioned an institution capable of solving some of the world's biggest challenges. That goal remains today, and Waterloo at 100 will help us determine where we want to be in 2057. Here's President Vivek Goel in conversation. Welcome back, Vivek. It's great to be back, Pamela. So Waterloo is 65 this year. Why are we looking 35 years down the road? One of the things I hear frequently is something to the effect, Waterloo was founded to be different, but has spent the next 65 years trying to be like everyone else. And and so it's a good time uh, for us to step back and just think about, okay, are we going to continue to try to be like uh, traditional institutions or are, is our path to continue to be different and to go where others are not treading? Something I'm asked often by some members of the community is, what are we going to do to move up in the global university rankings? Mm-hmm. Right? We can talk about the Times Higher Education Ranking or the Academic Ranking of World Universities. 
many people don't feel we sit in those rankings as well as we should be. But the real question is, do we want to uh, be like and aspire to be like uh, what those rankings measure, which is based on a certain type of university tradition, and some would say on metrics that link back to what we define as an excellent university 100 years ago. Mm. And, and so I think that's why looking down the road at this point in our history becomes important. Why a longer term, you know, 35 years is obviously tied to our 100th anniversary in 2057. Mm-hmm. But taking that longer term view gives us the opportunity to sit back and ask that kind of very fundamental question. We've been doing five-year strategic plans. They serve a very important purpose. But in university terms, five years is a very short period of time. Mm -hmm. So it brings you into thinking about much more operational types of things that you can work on over a five-year time horizon as opposed to what's going to take a little bit longer to do. So sitting back and taking that longer-term view allows us to then define where we're going and in five-year plans, what we need to do in this next increment of time to get there. The final thing I'll just say about why it's a good moment in time to have this conversation is, you know, we were founded to be different. We were founded in the 1950s, post-World War II, height of the Cold War, new technologies like computers emerging, um, the space race, There was a lot going on globally and then in our region, sort of the change in the agricultural and industrial base that had traditionally been here that led to our founders saying, we need a university here. We need to prepare talent for this very changing world, for our changing local dynamics and do it in a different way, which led to our differentiators around cooperative and experiential education, Mm built a culture around uh, innovation and entrepreneurship and a view to doing research that was impactful, that was engaged, that was working with community partners, industry partners, government partners. And I think the final piece of our differentiation relates to that founding by our local community. And so we're very much based in this local community, which has very unique characteristics and has grown and developed in that 65 years as well. As the world is changing around us again, coming out of a pandemic, we're facing this existential threat of the climate crisis. We have the rise of populism, nationalism, Mm -hmm. conflicts in so many parts of the world. We're again at at a crossroads in history. So good point in time to think about where we're going. Well, how does our history and our differentiators affect how we look to this future? As we look to the future, we have to think about our differentiators, co-op education, entrepreneurship, impactful research, and being based in this region. And think about with these big global challenges that we face, what is the unique role that the University of Waterloo has to play in helping to address them. And so every institution in the world, every organization is looking at those same sets of challenges and saying, what's our role? We have an opportunity to do things differently based on those differentiators and this region that we're in. 
So the futures framework is to help position and grow our strengths and differentiators, and it will help align and coordinate our efforts and our investments in education, research, and innovation. Let's unpack that. There's societal, technological, sustainable, health, and economic futures. Obviously, all of these futures are interconnected. And if we step back, the fundamental question is to think about humanity's future. Hmm. Where are we going as a human race? And what do we want the world that our grandchildren and great-grandchildren are going to be living in to look like? Or what what would they like to see us leaving for them? And, and so by starting with thinking about humanity's future and then the first one being societal futures, um, the other thing that I think is important in terms of our conversation is while we can think about technologies and other interventions, which we'll come to in a minute, we really should f- always first start by thinking about where humanity's going, where society's going. And one of the wonderful things about the University of Waterloo is all the programs we have, the the interest of our students, and the great research being done by faculty members across a range of disciplines that are looking at these very fundamental questions about what's happening to us as humans, what's happening to society, and how we want to shape society, how we want to shape uh, communities. And by having those conversations first, we can inform what we do in the other futures. As opposed to, at times, you know, I think we all feel this way, that technologies have been shaping us. If we think about social media, Mm -hmm. which is the result of um, information communication technologies transforming themselves in the last 20 years are being transformed, and particularly use in introduction of smartphones have enabled social media, that's now shaping society. That's mm. contributing to populism. That's contributing to misinformation, disinformation spreading. And so that's an example where technologies have started to drive society. And I'm thinking we need to turn the conversation around. We should be saying, where do we want to go? And then that takes us to this second area that we talk about, technological futures, which is obviously a deep strength area for the University of Waterloo. Um, We have a number of technological areas uh, that we've identified that we have leadership positions in, artificial intelligence, data sciences, cybersecurity, quantum nanotechnologies, robotics, advanced manufacturing, you know, they, they cut across many, again, many disciplines and faculties, but uh, they've evolved over time. We've positioned ourselves as leaders. What we need to think about is, you know, how do we combine that with thinking about the societal futures? Uh, and you know, we can think about things like responsible AI or tech for good. It's one way of thinking about how do we inform the development of those technologies so what we want for society's futures shapes the development of the technologies as opposed to the technologies shaping our society's future. And, you know, and that, that leads us to, you know, discussions around what should be in the core experiences for students in those technological disciplines, right? From the humanities, from the social sciences, from arts, from design. And we have some great work happening 
Uh, but if we look around at other institutions, uh, there's a range of things that we can learn from. We can also think about, you know, we don't have to necessarily pack everything into the curriculum of our students, but how does the co-op experience for students that are in co-op help them understand some of those broader issues? Use that in designing our programs and recruiting students and showcasing what we do. Say, we could do these things differently because we have these differentiators. Hmm. What about the health futures? So we have two areas, health and and sustainable futures that we see as um, the major application areas for Waterloo. We identified the intersection of health technology and society as a major priority area in the the current strategic plan. Uh, We've seen through the pandemic, obviously, what the impact of this health issue has. Mm -hmm. But uh, we know there were so many other challenges with demographics, chronic diseases uh, that we need to face up to. The strength areas for Waterloo, I see, are, first of all, the focus that we've had on population health, the broad social determinants of health, on things like healthy aging, how we help people stay in place as they grow older in their homes, in their communities, keeping people as healthy as possible and well as possible for as long as possible. If we think of the traditional biomedical model that most academic health science centers focus on, it's about fixing people once they get sick or injured. Mm -hmm. And so we've got, we can take a a different approach to that. The other area that we have uh, very unique opportunities are bringing our technological strengths to bear in the health area. So we think about in quantum and nano, so many of the applications that are emerging are in the health space. So many of our uh, companies that we see coming out um, in Velocity and other programs have applications in the health space using those technological areas of strength. At the same time, moving those technologies forward also require us to look at other social aspects. You know, how are these technologies used? How do we pay for them? How are they reimbursed in our healthcare system? So it's not just the technologies, but also bringing in, again, those societal aspects into thinking about how we address these big health challenges before us. And the other future that is our um, major application area is sustainable futures. A climate crisis is obviously uh, our biggest challenge we face as a planet. We have strengths in climate, in water, in energy. We can really start to focus in on where we can have an impact, including the uh, environment, but also thinking about water, about thinking about uh, addressing poverty, uh, addressing the other big challenges uh, that have been identified, for example, in the UN's Sustainable Development Goals. On that one, we also, as we have these conversations, need to address our own campus sustainability objectives Mm -hmm. across all of our campuses. We've got some very ambitious plans around carbon neutrality and, and zero waste, but we have a lot of work to do to achieve those goals. And, and we have to be a role model 
for society. If we can't do it here with all the assets and expertise that we have, how can we expect others to do it? So as we have these discussions, it's certainly about our academic programs, our research, but it's also about what we're doing ourselves to be this showcase. And I'll I'll just turn to the final and fifth uh, area, which is our economic futures. And we need to not just figure out how we address these challenges, but we also have to think about how we're going to pay for it. Mm -hmm. How does our economy change as we decarbonize, as the way in which we work is changing, Mm -hmm. as new digital tools are being uh, introduced? The opportunity I see for Waterloo here. Um, in part comes from our very innovative approach to business education. We have a third of our undergraduate students enrolled in business-related programs, but many of them are enrolled in programs that combine a particular discipline or area of study with business education, Mm -hmm. science and business, environment and business, aviation and business, right? We can do business education in a very different way than a place with a traditional business school model. How do we approach scholarship in, in that similar way of bringing people together from different disciplines, looking at these key issues of productivity, economic growth, and develop a, uh, a thought leadership position for the institution in these areas? But we don't know what the most pressing challenges the world is going to face in 2057, are or even what technologies will exist how how do we plan when when there are so many significant unknowns what we have to do is to prepare ourselves for the pace of change that uh, we're going to have so if we think of what the world was like in in 1957 and what the world of work was like you know our students went through their programs they graduated they found a job often with one of their co-op employers And they stayed with that employer until they retired, 30, 35 years. That's not the current reality for Mm -hmm. our alumni. One of the things we're looking at is talking with people in our community that spend their time thinking about the futures. Um, We have planning, right? Planners plan for long-term change in their communities. Um, So we have lots of expertise to to think about that. Mm -hmm. And we can also think about what resources we need to continue to be at the cutting edge. So when we think about technological futures, we couldn't have predicted 25, 35 years ago that we were going to be leaders in quantum and nano. But we were making investments in areas of fundamental science that positioned us to be leaders Mm. in those areas. And so we have to think about the areas that we continue to make those investments in today to be leaders in developing unimaginable technologies in 2057 and and beyond. What is certainly predictable is that there will be change. There'll be lots of forces uh, swirling around us, and we have to plan to be ready for those Mm -hmm. changes. Well, reaching these these futures will probably mean that we as an institution need to evolve as well. What are some of these areas of focus for our institution's growth and change? The first thing is to understand how much 
our institution has grown and changed in 65 years, mm. right? So uh, we've gone uh, from a, a startup, very small institution, um, to one of the largest universities in the country in terms of our undergraduate and graduate enrollment numbers, right? And we uh, are going to continue to evolve. In the last 20 to 25 years, we've almost doubled in size just in that time period. And so we need to think about how we work, how we work with each other, how we make decisions, because our institution in many respects continues to have many systems and processes that are the way they were when we were founded and the way we were when we were a few thousand students. And, And so we do need to evolve that. The challenges that we're talking about require collaboration across many departments, many faculties. Many of the areas require people from all six faculties to come together. So how we support that kind of activity, how we foster it, how we create the right incentives, uh, how we use information technology in our own operations. There, There are many, many areas that the institution is going to need to evolve in the way in which it works. And these consultations are about hearing those ideas from the people who are involved in those different functional areas. We do hear quite frequently about the Waterloo budget model and how in the ways which have been implemented in the last few years seems to have created more barriers to people working together. Mm. So, you know, we do have a review of the budget model, how we engage with each other across the different academic support units, the ASUs, and with each of the faculties. Um, And if we take an area like student experience, it's not one unit's responsibility. It's a responsibility of everyone in the community. And so... Addressing issues like that or equity, diversity, inclusion, anti-racism, 88 recommendations from the President's Anti-Racism Task Force, Mm -hmm. and virtually every one of them requires collaboration across multiple units to be successful. And and so evolving is going to require that. And so those are the sorts of things that are coming up in the consultations, right? People see those issues. Um, they're often frustrated that the way in which they see that they can have a solution, they don't have the tools to bring the right people together mm-hmm. from different areas uh, and, and the incentives for everyone to work together on solving these big problems that we face. Is there anything else you've heard in the consultations that you want to share? So far, the feedback has been very positive. People are uh, thirsty for the opportunity to have that discussion about What does the institution aspire to be? And is that track one of um, chasing after those global rankings, so to speak, or charting our own path? That's a conversation that seems to be resonating. Mm. Um, You know, the futures are are resonating as well. Uh, People really want to talk about the intersections between them. And so as we have these conversations, as this develops further, we're going to think about how do we not have the futures themselves become silos on their own, but we maintain uh, the connectivity between them. Hmm. How do we know that we're on the right track? We will want to define what is it going to mean for us to be 
a globally significant university having an impact, and then uh, we will uh, have to define what those metrics are. You know, in the academic world, in many disciplines, we rely on publications, citation counts to measure the impact of our research. And those are very important metrics. Uh, They're used to assess quality in many ways. But ultimately, they're measuring how much our research is getting out to other academics around the world. Mm -hmm. And is it being used by other academics? And if we say that we're about impactful research, maybe we should be thinking about the metrics that measure how our research is getting out and applied in the world Mm. and used by governments, by not-for-profit organizations, by clinicians in healthcare, by the private sector. You can look at how often our research is cited in Mm. patents by the private sector. And there are databases that can give us that. Um, We can look at how often is research cited in clinical practice guidelines. If our differentiator is impactful research, what does that mean? And and how do we measure that? And not just fall into the trap of doing what everyone else does, because then we're going to continue to be on this track to be like everyone else. What does it mean for our current strategic plan, as well as ones down the line? So first of all, the current strategic plan is still in the process of being implemented, and it's informed you know, the consultations that went into that strategic plan, um, the white papers, all the things that have been done have informed the thinking about Waterloo at 100. And we'll continue to work on the implementation of the initiatives in that strategic plan. But my hope will be we won't necessarily revise our overall strategy um, you know, every five years uh, if we have this longer-term vision. And in future planning cycles, what we will focus in on is what do we need to accomplish in order in the, over the next five years to keep us on the trajectory that we want to move towards? Right. Looking back at the last few strategic plans, they've been a combination of trying to lay bold strategy and then do operational things. And um, sometimes the operational things have not really moved because we spent so much time on, on the Boulder strategy. So this hopefully will actually get us to focus on, on those very specific, tangible things we have to do in the five-year planning cycles. Now, most of us, I know I won't be working here in 2057. What should we keep in mind when we're, we're doing this work? This is the world that our children, grandchildren will be living in. And so I think we do, we still have a stake in this if we value their future One of the things as we look forward on this exercise is how we engage our students uh, and and our prospective students, because they're the ones that will be living and working in this world. So we're we're talking about how we might engage graduate students and thinking about the futures, for example, and having them frame some of the scenarios that might be coming, because they're the ones that will be working in 2057. And, and thinking about these issues. So what's next in the process? You know, we're having lots of dialogues right now. We have the Waterloo at 100 website that listeners can go to and uh, get more information. Uh, they can provide their 
input to us and they can sign up to receive updates as we summarize what we're hearing on a regular basis over the next few months. Mm -hmm. And then in the fall, uh, we will have a draft paper uh, for engagement with the community and we'll have a number of engagement opportunities, including a a presence form that's being planned um, and we'll be out having a variety of events uh, and opportunities for people to engage and provide input on that. And then following that, uh, we will prepare the Waterloo at 100 paper. Um, we're working on how we'll present that, engage with external communities on it. Our goal is to have that out um, sometime early in uh, 2023. All right. We'll watch for that. And in the meantime, we will put a link to the Waterloo at 100 website in our show notes on SoundCloud. What else do we need to know before we say goodbye, Vivek? I just, first of all, thank everyone for listening and uh, hope everyone will take some time to take a look at the website and engage with the process. It it can only be as successful as the degree of community engagement that we get because it's got to be everyone's vision. Well, thank you. Thank you for this. And thank you so much for coming back. Thank you, Pamela. Well, that about wraps it up for us this week. To ensure you don't miss an episode, please subscribe to the Beyond the Bulletin podcast wherever you get your podcasts and recommend us to your colleagues and Waterloo alumni. Please follow us on Twitter at UW Daily Bulletin. You can also find select interviews on the university's YouTube channel. Just look for the Beyond the Bulletin playlist there. You can reach us by email at bulletin at uwaterloo.ca. As always, thanks for listening as we went Beyond the Bulletin. So we're going to be on hiatus for two weeks while you're on vacation. Woo! How exciting. Hope you have a great time. Thank you. I plan I plan on it. It's a bit far off yet, but since this is our last podcast for a couple of weeks, we should probably mention that Friday, July 1st is Canada Day, which conveniently kicks off a long weekend. So check the Daily Bulletin on Thursday, June 30th for a rundown of the campus operations that will be open or closed over that long weekend.